Welcome to SLU Law Summations, presenting brief looks at legal matters that matter to you by St. Louis University School of Law, located in the heart of downtown St. Louis. This January, we rang in a new year with a new piece of tax legislation, one that was laden with controversy and confusion, not to mention many revisions, often making it difficult to decipher fact from fiction. Since we are now well into tax season, we wanted to explore what this new law means for us average citizens and what we can expect in the years to come. I'm Maria Sakalis, and today we are joined by Professor Carrie Ryan. Carrie has been teaching a variety of tax law classes at SLU Law since joining the faculty in 2005. She also serves as the chair of the ABA section of Taxation Teach- Teaching Taxation Committee. Thank you for joining us today, Carrie. Thank you for having me. So first, let's talk a little bit about this federal tax legislation. Um, As we alluded to, we saw many versions of it before it passed. So what are we looking at right now? So the the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act um, is probably the biggest piece of tax legislation since the 1986 Tax Act. Um, But in terms of sort of the process and getting to the end, just as a contrast, the 86 Act took sort of years of um, bipartisan negotiation. This act was sort of hastily put together at the end of 2017, passed in December of 2017, in sort of a deeply partisan closed-door process. Um, And then, you know, because it had to be passed through the budget reconciliation rules to avoid a Democratic filibuster, um, they had to have it sort of budget neutral, meaning it wouldn't raise or lower their deficit over a 10-year window. They couldn't do that. They just couldn't Mm -hmm. figure out how to pay for those corporate tax cuts. Um, And so they had to authorize themselves to have that act um, only lose $1.5 trillion over a 10-year time frame. Um, So it's it's just kind of sloppy, um, complicated. Uh, You know, the rhetoric around it was that it was going to be a benefit for sort of working families and middle-income families. Um, 85 of the ta- 85% of the tax benefits go to corporations um, in this tax act. Um, and because of these budget rules, it's really at this point, the tax legislation process, I like to call it painting by numbers. It becomes more of a math problem than sort of considered uh, strategic tax reform. Um, and so it does make it a little bit, a little bit difficult um, for the IRS to implement. I wouldn't say a little. I would say a lot. It's really hard for the IRS to implement this. Um, at the time that they have had, they're underfunded. They're understaffed. They don't have the right uh, uh, computer technology systems they need. Um, and then it's just going to be a boom for tax lawyers. I mean, gosh, it's there's never been a better time to be a tax lawyer. I'll tell you that. <laughs> um, we love complicated poorly drafted statutes um, that have some open loopholes that everybody knows about and then the ones that are just unintended. So it's going to be a boom for tax lawyers, tax planning, and corporations. Mm -hmm. Individuals, on the other hand, they get um, a temporary tax cut. So there are currently seven brackets for individuals. Um, They kept the seven brackets. The top six brackets went down the rate went down. So the tax Mm -hmm. rate will temporarily go down for most people. Um, But those temporary tax cuts only last through 2025 for individuals and families. Um, 
But during that time period, they will see a temporary tax cut. And we should even see in our paychecks um, this year more money staying in the paycheck because Mm -hmm. less federal tax is being withheld. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it it was a win for corporations, um, a temporary win for families, um, and then a huge win for tax lawyers. Since the tax uh, cut is set to expire in 2025 for middle-class families and uh, middle-income families, does that same cut or does that same ending not apply for corporations? No. So corporations, their tax cuts are permanent. Um, that's And the temporary nature of the individual and family tax cut was to pay for the corporate tax cut to get it within the $1.5 trillion budget deficit over a 10-year period. Um, so that sort of sets up one set of problems with the Tax Act, which is sort of the distributional issues, mm-hmm. that 85% of the benefit goes to corporations and super wealthy individuals, um, and then sort of moderate families and low-income families get only 15% of the benefit, and they only get that temporarily. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, what Congress giveth, Congress taketh away when it comes to individuals and families. Um, but what, you know, if, if you are just a middle-income family, there are some good things in this bill for the next 10 years, right? Um, in addition to lower tax rates, uh, they doubled the standard deduction. So right now, um, you don't pay positive income taxes until the amount that you make exceeds the standard deduction, the child tax credit, and the personal exemptions. We call that sort of the triumvirate, the uh, mm-hmm. trifecta. And that, that basically says until you make more than all of those tax benefits combined, you don't pay any, pay, pay any income tax. And you might even get money back if you qualify for the earned income tax credit. Um, in the name of simplification, this bill got rid of the personal exemptions, so they no longer exist. And in its place, they doubled the standard deduction and increase the child tax credit. Um, what that means is for many middle-income and lower-income families, they will see their taxes go down, um, which is a good thing from, mm-hmm. from my perspective. Um, more wealthier families who used to itemize deductions, so um, things like the mortgage interest deduction, the state and local tax deduction, the charitable contribution deduction, mm-hmm. those are sort of curtailed. Um, and because of the doubling of the standard deduction, less people will even qualify to take those benefits. Mm-hmm. And then if they do qualify, they're going to find that they're not as generous as they used to be. So, you know, if you think about sort of losers in this tax bill, I would say people who have uh, expensive homes. It used to be that you could deduct um, up to a million dollars in the debt you took on to purchase the home plus 100000 of home equity debt. In this bill, until 2025, you can't deduct any home equity, interest on home equity debt, I should be clear, interest on home equity debt. And you can only deduct the interest up to $750,000. Um, so that's limited. The state and local tax deduction got limited, which is, it actually was, the House bill wanted to repeal it. So what, we're, what we have now is that your um, you know, your state and then your local income taxes, property taxes, mm-hmm. and sales taxes, the total amount that you can deduct with regard to those is $10,000. Um, and then the charitable deduction wasn't limited per se, but the number of people that will be able to 
deduct their charitable contributions is going to go down significantly mm -hmm. because you don't get to take those itemized deductions unless that they you exceed the standard deduction. So with the doubling of the standard deduction, fewer people are going to be able to um, take the charitable contribution deduction, and charities are worried about that. Mm -hmm. They feel like they're the losers in this tax bill as well because mm -hmm. a lot of people are motivated by taxes to give to charity, um, and without the tax benefit that they're going to see, they may not be so motivated. So they are concerned about that. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we've talked about some of the losers of the tax plan. So who would you say are going to be the biggest winners out of this? So shareholders of corporations. Um, the extra money that the corporations are getting through the corporate rate cut and then some additional benefits they get on the international side, um, they are going to have a lot more money to either buy back their shares or to distribute to their shareholders. Um, the, the rhetoric from Congress when the bill was passed was that corporations will use the extra money to increase wages. Um, but I can tell you that in the past, when corporations have gotten uh, tax benefits, that hasn't happened. Um, and I would be leery of thinking these bonus, the round of bonuses that happened at the end of last year, which corporations claimed was because of the tax cut, indicate a commitment to doing that in the future. Mm -hmm. Really, the reason they did that was because last year they were subject to higher corporate tax rates. So they gave out the bonuses to increase the wage deduction they get at those higher rates um, and didn't commit to increasing wages going mm -hmm. forward. So that's sort of a wait to see. I think the winners from the corporate benefits are going to be shareholders and executives of corporations. I think we're going to see a lot of um, increase in executive pay. Mm -hmm. um, President Trump and his family, the real estate industry did really good in this tax bill, um, surprisingly good. Uh, you know, there's a new uh, deduction for owners of businesses that own it in a non-corporate form. Um, real estate is going to be uh, getting a lot of benefits from that. Um, there's a limitation on the amount of interest now. Businesses used to be able to deduct all the interest on their debt. Mm -hmm. Now it's limited to 30%. But who got exempted from that? The real estate industry, amazingly. Um, and then... There's some other uh, limitations on other benefits that, uh, like the 1031 exchanges, which are like-kind exchanges, um, they got, uh, uh, real estate got exempted from that. So I, I think real estate is going to do just fine. Multimillionaires, the estate tax exemption. So you're, as of last year, you weren't subject to the estate or gift tax unless you gave away $5 million adjusted for inflation if you're an individual, $10 million if you are married, mm -hmm. which with the uh, inflation adjustment was about 11 million. They doubled that. So now you can give away 11 million without being subject to the estate tax and 22 million if you're married. Um, so that's a really big benefit for really wealthy people. Um, I will say as a shout out to St. Louis, one thing that is good for our local community is that the excise tax on craft beer small brewers went down um, and I think that's really, and that was a significant rate cut. I think that's going to significantly help our sort of booming craft um, uh, uh, brewing industry in St. Louis. Um, private equity managers, a lot of rhetoric about getting rid of what they call the carried interest loophole, which just lets private equity managers pay 
taxes on their wages at a, a significantly lower rate than like you or I do. Mm-hmm. They didn't really shut that down. They they limited it, but not in a way that's going to meaningfully change it at all. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then lastly, I think private schools. So 529 plans, which are college tax-favored college savings plans, you used to only be able to use those dollars, those tax-favored dollars, to pay for higher education. Um, and in this bill, you can use up to $10,000 each year for primary and secondary education. Um, and that's, that's brand new. Uh, and I think that was M- Marco Rubio who, who may have gotten that in. And then, uh, you know, tax accountants and lawyers, I've already discussed that. Mm-hmm. So you kind of mentioned this with the craft breweries in St. Louis for the local economy, but um, does that also apply to other types of small businesses? Uh, so... It's sort of, I would say it depends. Uh, it, it, the benefits were not defined in terms of the size of the business. It was the form of the business that you're in. Mm-hmm. So if you were a corporation, there's two levels of tax. There's a tax on the corporation, and then there's a tax on the owners of the corporation. It's the tax on the corporation that went down. Mm-hmm. But if you own it in a non-corporate form, so a partnership, an LLC, a sole proprietorship, there was a tax benefit given to you that you can take a twenty-five—excuse me—a twenty percent deduction on something called your qualified business income. But if you want to see the most poorly drafted, complicated tax provision I've seen in a while, you should take a look at that. I was at the ABA tax section meeting in San Diego two weeks ago, mm-hmm. and there was just multiple panels where people that I respect um, and always look to, to to help me understand the law were sort of throwing their hands up going, we don't even understand it. The head of Assistant, Sep- uh, Assistant Secretary for Tax Policy at Treasury, uh, he, he, he's no longer there, by the way, but he had some very, very open and honest comments about that particular provision. Um, unfortunately, I think he may have been too open and too honest about that. <laughs> Can you clarify the, that provision for yeah, the audience? Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a 20% deduction on your qualified business income. Okay. And it's the definition of qualified business income and then the limitations on that that are just mind-numbingly complex. But I'll tell you who can't benefit, and this matters for us here at the law school. Anybody, any of those non-corporate entities that are service-related, so law mm-hmm. firms, accounting firms, anyone in the health field, their income is not considered qualified business income, so they can't get the benefit of the 20% deduction. Hmm. So a huge slap in the face to lawyers, doctors, accountants, and the like, mm-hmm. and, and just across the board. But engineers and architects somehow got excluded. I don't know who they knew. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, we've talked about what kind of exemptions we've lost and what kind of exemptions that we've gained. Um, when it comes time for filing, what are the biggest changes that people are going to be facing? So here's things to look out for, um, and one of them is really important. So because of the change in the, the lowering of the tax rates and the doubling of the standard deduction, the IRS had to put out new withholding tables to tell all the businesses and the payroll companies how much to keep out of your paycheck, each paycheck for 2018. Um, there was... Uh, and I, this was just uh, brought up by the Democrats, but the Democrats were concerned that the withholding tables were going to lead to under-withholding. 
Um, they were concerned that Republicans were making this political, trying to put more money in your paycheck because this tax bill didn't have a good, didn't do well in polling and public opinion polls. And they were trying to sort of, the concern of the Democrats was that the, <clears throat> the Republicans would have you under withhold. You'd see more in your paycheck and you'd fall in love with this tax bill. So the IRS just today on their website, on irs.gov, um, has a, a withholding calculator where you can go in and double check that your withholding is correct. And if it's not correct, which it will be incorrect for a lot of people, you want to fill out what's a new W-4 form, which just got published on their website today on irs.gov. Um, if, you, if you are underwithheld, it means when you file your taxes, you're going to have a big fat tax bill on the back end, which none of us like. Mm -mm. Most of us actually like overwithholding because you get mm -hmm. back that refund. It's like a you know, it's like a forced savings account. It's a little treat at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. So that's something uh, definitely to look out for. So maybe our last question, we'll talk about higher education. And so I know in the earlier revisions of the bill, there was a lot of concern that this would affect higher education um, in ways such as discontinuing the tax deduction for interest on student loans, um, taxing endowments, taxing stipends and tuition remission, remission benefits, um, all that kind of stuff. So that those proposals didn't end up making it into the final bill. Um, but does the law leave those doors open um, in the future in 2025 or any any other time and what can we expect now in the higher education landscape so um, you're right in the house bill they wanted to repeal really all of the student-based benefits so the student loan interest deduction the, t the tuition deduction the college tax credits um, and, and actually even the you know at, at, we're at an institution and we can take classes in other uh, uh, schools and colleges, and that's a benefit that we get as being at a college. They wanted to repeal that as well and start taxing that. None of that made it into the final bill. Um, what did make it in was the change to 529 plans, which is a plus mm -hmm. for taxpayers. Um, and then this new excise tax on colleges and universities with big endowments. Mm -hmm. um, this doesn't really affect individuals, so it won't affect you and you and me. Um, but it is, some people think a harbinger of uh, sort of concern about um, colleges and universities that accumulate massive wealth and hold it in a tax-exempt form because they're, they're treated as tax-exempt mm -hmm. organizations from federal taxes. Um, so that's something to keep an eye on. I don't think it will affect us here at SLU, um, but it could have been worse, but I will say it's not just the colleges and universities. A lot of other um, charities have some new excise taxes that are being imposed on them um, at the same time that individuals are less likely to contribute to charities, and particularly charities that get a lot of federal funding because the fact that we're losing so much money over a 10-year period with this tax bill means these charities aren't going to get as much federal funding they're not going to get as much from individuals, and they have these new weird excise taxes being imposed on them. So that's something to look out for is the charitable sector. Um, and I think, you know, it's, you can interpret it one of two ways. One is that, uh, you know, there was just some schools and colleges with bloated endowments. Another way is this is taking aim at colleges and universities and nonprofits. Um, 
So wait and see on that one as well. Can you quickly uh, explain what an excise tax is for those who might not know? Yeah, so charities, schools, churches, and the like are all exempt from federal taxes, Mm -hmm. meaning they don't pay any income taxes. Uh, They're usually exempt at the state level from property taxes. But if they do certain bad things, they get like a penalty tax imposed on them, and that's what an excise tax is. Okay. Any final thoughts before we conclude? Um, I would just say in Missouri, because we haven't really talked about Missouri, keep, keep your eyes open. Uh, Greitens came out with uh, a new tax plan. Um, and in addition, the um, changes at the federal level will impact Missouri taxpayers because our Missouri code is tied to the federal code. So all of the increases and decreases that you see at the federal level will actually flow through to Missouri. Um, Greitens tax plan, uh, he wants to, it's pretty similar to the federal, the structure. Reduce corporate by a lot, reduce individuals by a little. Um, He claims it's revenue neutral. He's got some offsets. We'll see. Um, But the problem for him, it's not the best timing. The legislature passed uh, a huge tax cut in 2014 that hasn't been fully implemented. And so a lot of legislators, even Republicans, are concerned that we have such a revenue shortfall already, we might end up in the same place as Kansas ended up. Um, when they they enacted a, a an overzealous tax cut, mm-hmm. and then you know it's just not a good time for Greitens to propose anything to get it enacted at the moment, and I'll leave it at that. And when would he have to get that support pushed through? Oh, you know, there's no time. He'd like to do it this year. I mean, he came out in the State of the Union, and but for everything else going on in the background, that was his major legislative mm-hmm. agenda for this year. Um, and I, I think with the distractions it's not going to get done there are some republican proposals in the uh, in the missouri legislature though that may and they're not as comprehensive but they may have a chance so we'll have wait and see on that well carrie thank you so much tune in next time for our next episode of slew law summations thank you for joining us for slew law summations produced by st louis university school of law